It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Straight Up Sabres, presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo, brought to you by Thin Man Brewery. As always, I'm Brendan. And I'm Taylor. And Taylor, we have a lot to talk about today. We're going to be talking some Stanley Cup playoffs and the conference finals. We're going to be talking about some possible relocation going on. But we are first starting off with the big Sabres news of the week, which is that the Sabres have been connected to star goaltender Connor Hellybuck currently with the Winnipeg Jets. Hallie Buck is heading into the last year of his contract with the Winnipeg Jets, and it was noted in an athletic piece by Michael Russo that the Sabres are interested. Reading through the piece, he says, and I quote, Hallie Buck is one of the NHL's few true number one workhorse goaltenders. He won the Vesna in 2020 and is a finalist again. How much is he going to want on a long-term deal? Currently making $6.16 million, he could command $9 million plus on the open market. Can the Jets stomach that? If he becomes available, don't be surprised if Buffalo and New Jersey take big swings. One thing we've heard early this offseason is that the Sabres have interest in Hellybuck with the belief that a genuine number one goaltender could be the last remaining piece in turning them into contenders. Getting one would also allow them to hold off on turning the reins over to Devin Levi until he's proven to be NHL ready. So a huge, huge little piece right there. Getting a guy like Hallibuck is something that I think you and I both have said that we're pretty generally in favor of. Obviously, we know that there's going to be a pretty sizable, to a degree, I should say, acquisition cost involved when you're talking about a just repeated Vesna finalist and somebody who is of the caliber of Connor Hallibuck. But he is also heading into the last year of that deal, as we said, and will be a UFA, of course, at the conclusion of that deal. So, Taylor, let's get right into it here. What are your thoughts on this report? Does the prospect of adding Hellybuck, is that something that excites you? Is that something that you think the Sabres should go for? Are you leaning more towards them giving the the reins to Levi or getting somebody that would be more of a true timeshare as compared to a guy like Hellybuck, who would be the the full-on starting goalie next year? Where do you stand on this? So even though I've said good things about it in the past, and I think it's kind of crazy to be hemming and hawing about potentially acquiring someone of Hellebuck's caliber after the goaltending they've had for the past few years. I'm not in favor of it. Uh, I just don't think there's a way that it actually works. And I think, I think people that are really talking themselves into it, I get it because it's such an enticing prospect having between the pipes next year. But I think anything that makes it seem reasonable is either delusional or to me, not worth it. So basically here's why, in my opinion, you were trading him for, to have him as a goalie for one year or for nine years. There's no in between there. And I think. Do you really, really know be. that though? Yes. You think there that is not... it is guaranteed that he is going to get an eight year deal. Well, only with, you can only sign with eight years for the team that you're currently with. Right. So a seven year deal, if he actually gets traded here and then becomes a free agent. So if you like, if you were traded to the Sabres and then signed with LA, for example, it'd be a seven year deal. That would be the max deal. Yes. A hundred percent. His, the comparable is Bavrovsky, which I know hasn't gone great, but like there's little else you can do when there's someone that good on the market. I think with Bavrovsky, I think people thought, oh, the first half will be good. And the second half will be risky, but it turns out the first half is also kind of risky. But no, in general, look at like Carey Price. Look at what he got. Look at the what the best goalies get even when they're in their late 20s, early 30s. It's rare. It's obviously rare that these big contracts get signed with these goalies because it's rare that these goalies are these good. There's a goalie this good that's either available or or this consistently good for this long. Uh, he's it's, he's kind of a rarity. He's won the Vesna and he's been, 
either in the conversation or at least pretty good every year, which is rare for goalies just to just be consistent. Hell, even Carey Price wasn't that consistent, and he got he got the bag. And I know what you're thinking if you're hearing this, teams regretted those, and they're probably going to regret the Helly Buck one too. But someone's going to do it. So that's the problem with for me. That's on one hand having him signing him long term. That's just the Sabres just aren't doing that. They, they're just not doing that kind of deal. I know they he just said nine million. Michael Russo said at least nine million. Well, Bobrovsky got ten million per. And I think that uh, Hellebuck's every bit as good as him. And I think he's six months younger, or he will be six months younger as a free agent, as a UFA, or maybe they're roughly the same age. But I think he's a little bit younger than Bobrovsky was. Uh, so I think he gets $10 million. It gets At least it's in that range. $9 is not a bad guess, but nine, $9, $10 million, that range. So that's one thing. And then going back to the one year, I think there's just got to be someone out there who's going to be willing to pay more than the Sabres for one year. I think this would be a perfect situation if he had two or three years left with one year. I just don't see it as worth it for the Sabres to trade a lot for him. If it's only going to be one year and then uh, to give up really big assets. And then at the same time, I just obviously don't think it'd be worth it to resign him. So I, I just don't really see how it works and I do, and the last thing I guess I'll say is, someone is going to give up big assets. I, I there's a lot of been a lot of talk on Twitter about this about if Hellbuck really wants out and it's really only one year and there's no guarantee where he signs. Uh, is there going to be any? You're really going to have to give up a lot. Yes, someone is still going to give up a lot. I don't disagree with that. I just think that there's there's a lot that you have to kind of talk through with this because it is such a massive perspective deal here that we're talking about. So just to address a couple of the points, first of all, if we're talking about you are gun to the head, seven year deal has to happen. And at a ridiculous cap hit, obviously, if we're talking about like 10 million a year or something like that, of course, absolutely. I'm very apprehensive with that. However, what I will say is is there is a scenario where you can do maybe, let's say, like a five-year deal or a six-year deal, for example, and you front load the contract. I would not be opposed to that because then that also gives – what? Can you do that anymore? Front loading? I don't think you have to have it be broken down to the same thing year over year. Not the exact same, but isn't that basically what all the contract – let's say – punishments have been for over the last decade since the last lockout front loading. Like that's why the Kovalchuk trade got that the Kovalchuk contract got struck down and then resigned. That's why the devil's lost a pick. That's why there's the weird punishments for if Airhoff or Suter. I know they did the punishments after the contracts were signed, which was nonsense, but that was all about front loading. So I think there's a real limit to how much you can front load contracts. I would be days. curious to know what that limit is though, because I know you're yeah, still so would I, allowed to, to a degree. We can try, yeah. you want to try and look that up, but anyways, yeah. Though, So back to my point, though, where I stand on it beyond that, at least, is for one, wondering if there is the possibility that you pay him a boatload of money on like a two year deal, for example. Is he going to want to do that? I don't know. You have to, of course, that's the key part of all of this. But I don't think that that's something that can be diminished out of hand right away. Like if you were to acquire him and say, then you were able to do like a two or three year, or like a two year, three year extension, hell, even a one year extension that you give him 11 million for the 24, 25 season or something like that. Like, so then you would have him next year at his current cap hit. You sign him for like a one year extension after that, if that's even a possibility, I guess all I'm coming back to with all this, and even if it is, and I'll get to this more after, even if it is just for the one season, I really do not think that you can dismiss this idea out of hand, even if it is a significant acquisition cost. Now, when I say that, if it is a scenario where they are like, there's no deal unless Kulik or Savoy are involved, absolutely not then, obviously. But I am okay with sending significant assets to them for a player of Hellybuck's nature due to the fact that, folks, I don't know if we forgot this or not, we have not been in the playoffs in like three presidential administrations, okay? This is insane to me that people are even so dismissive of, of even just having him for one year. Like, I get it. You are going to be giving up a lot, but the 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 cost of what it would take to get him for a year 
it, it pales in comparison to how important it would be for this team to be able to get over the hump next year and break through and make the playoffs. I, I know we all think that next year, like playoffs are bu- playoffs are bust, and everybody thinks that it's like not everybody thinks. I have just seen a lot of people talking about this as though it's some foregone conclusion that we are going to make it, and it is absolutely not. You know what else isn't a foregone conclusion that people are making? That Devin Levi is going to be capable of being a starting goalie next year when That's literally, true. historically speaking, every single other case pretty much within the this century points to the opposite. Points to a guy of that nature not being able to step in and take on that kind of a workload. I mean, Jesus Christ. Like I was I went through today and did my first like um like mock off season of what I wanted to, what I want to see the Sabres do, what I think is realistic, whatever. And I, as we've talked about, I think that they're going to go after one of the Carolina goalies. I think maybe they make a run at Anderson, assuming that he doesn't want to cup with them, because I think that that puts them in a, a pretty interesting spot there with what they're going to do. But if they're going to retain him or not, or bring him back, whatever. But the fact of the matter is though, is that to see people just like so confident in Devin Levi being able to be a 1A next year, it is mind-boggling, and it is 100% people getting caught up in the hype. Like, you listen, I'm as much as anyone else love getting caught up in the fanhood and the excitement and all of that, and Levi is going to be a very special player. I, I believe in that so, so wholeheartedly, okay? But handing the reins over to a 22-year-old who's on average been playing like 35 to 40 games a season – throughout his life and then expecting him to just to be able to like play 45 plus at the NHL level when he's played a total of like eight games in his entire career. It is insane to me that people want to do that and want to take that risk. Again, I go back to what I said a couple of months ago when this was, when Levi was first coming up, he was playing great and people were starting to talk about this as an idea. I would be so much more comfortable with going out and getting an established 1A and running into the problem of Levi playing himself into more playing time, then you give him the keys, he falters, and you're two months into the season with him and, God forbid, UPL or somebody of that nature being his 1B, and you just you have your hands in your pocket and you just shrug and you're like, well, what are we going to do now? Because do you want to run the risk then of having to – like send him down if it's going that badly where like no that, that's a real possibility yeah. that people are just being totally dismissive of like oh yeah no that, that really well. comes like there is 100 there's a real chance of that and next year it is pivotal pivotal for the sabers to make the playoffs it's not even a matter of expectations anymore we talked about it throughout this season that this year while overall, I will gladly look back on the 22-23 season as a success due to the individual and team growth. This team was one win away from making the playoffs. But I'm telling you right now, there is no scenario where next season, if you waste another year of Darlene, Tage, Skinner, Tuck, all of these guys having these like prime premier seasons, you just can't afford to do that again. You can't do that anymore we've been through enough. Like if you want to go about it from that perspective of the roster, like, and these guys having these great seasons, obviously like the the team is set up for the long haul. Like I get that. And I know that like three years from now, this is a team that's going to be a perennial contender, but you have not gotten there yet to get to that point. You need to get over the hump and need to get into the playoffs. What better way to do that than to go out and take that huge swing. If even if it is a year of Connor Hellybuck. Okay. And if it means that we have to send a first, and and say like another like nicer prospect that's not Savoy or Kulik. I'm okay with that because you nothing is guaranteed next year. We don't even know what additions they're gonna make. We don't even know if they're gonna make any. We've been saying that they're primed to do it now. You need that big addition to the top four. You probably want to add another good forward piece as well in there in your middle six. Okay, but Adams has been so big on retention keeping things the same, not a lot of turnover here. He has not made a move of this caliber yet, a move where you're taking a big swing on a guy. He's made the big moves where you're sending guys out the door because you're in the rebuild phase and you're trying to recoup value and get value back for, for better players and Rasmus Ristolainen. But he has not done this yet where he's made this big trade or this big acquisition that brings in a guy that's going to help you win right now. So he has to do that first and foremost. Hallie Buck making that move 
significantly, I think, lessens the important, not the, like you have to get a top four D regardless, but getting Hellybuck significantly, I think, lessens the caliber of guy that you need in that spot. I think it also significantly lessens, if not completely diminishes having the need to make a significant addition to your top six, because you already are scoring at a pretty good clip right now. And that's seemingly going to just keep getting better. You would think, but again, not guaranteed. We don't know this. So we're, we're, we're all sitting here saying, Oh, playoffs are the expectation playoffs, playoffs, playoffs. I'm sorry. But like, if you have the opportunity to even have a year of one of the best goalies in the league for guys that for pieces that maybe otherwise wouldn't even end up being on the team in the first place. You have to consider that you have to think about that. You can't be dismissive of that out of the gate. Has there been talk about who, who they want in this? Because that's where I'm, I've told this cat. I don't believe that shit at all. I don't believe that they would do this without like Kalik or Savoy or a bunch of picks or someone that's on the roster now. Like, I don't believe that at all. Why would they do that? That's what I don't get. That's like, that's where I'm coming from. They have to rebuild. Yeah. But if, if like, okay, so the trade was the 2024 first Rosen and UPL and even another like Kisikov or something like that in there, even. Yeah. If it's something like that. Yeah, I would do that. But I mean, I have my doubts. If they go into next season with Levi being the 1A, I just think that that is a massive oversight by this front office. Like, Yeah, it is. Massive. And like you you mentioned Anderson, that's a good one. And like I said earlier, if Hellebuck was on a even maybe two-year deal, but definitely three-year deal, this would be great. Uh, the thing is, on a one-year deal, uh, I think whoever trades for him is going to be the team that tries to extend him, which I really – I know they weren't mentioned there, and I can't believe they weren't mentioned, but I can't believe LA is not involved. You know they will be. They they, they have to be. They have but, to. But LA and New Jersey are so incentivized to give up more than the Sabres because they need this shit. The Sabres know, or they at least they think they know, that they can try to sign someone like Anderson, and then they think and have some good belief that Levi will be the guy eventually. But, I mean, those teams don't. <laughs> they don't have anyone. They have Phoenix Copley and Akira Schmidt. Who right, but Schmidt it comes down to a point, play. Taylor, where, like, if you're going after a big fish like this, you're going to have to pay more than the other guy. Well, that's like, what I mean. I just don't think you're going to be able to get it done without giving up Kulik or Savoy or, I don't know, maybe this year's first or whatever. Like, I would give up this year's If, I, if you want me to be completely honest, I would do if it. If it's just a one-for-one, one, I would do it. But, again, I think that gets beat. I think it's going to, I mean, of course it's going to, because like I said, let's be clear. Like I'm pretty firm that I think that they should do this, but if it comes out that Winnipeg's asking price is a necessity that it needs to include Savoy or Kulik, then no, I, I don't want to do that then. Yeah. I'm preemptively no. Cause I think it's gonna, but here's but the other thing. Got, but so again, I looked at the front loading thing. The, the rules for front loading are, uh, well, the, the front end part, the, Exceeding part doesn't matter, but the lowest salary can't be less 60% or less than the, the highest salary. So like if he gets 10 million, the lowest okay. year can't be less than 6 million. Okay. That, I mean, that makes sense. I think that still gives you a little bit of flexibility at that, but regardless then I think what even I, I like better again, let's be clear. This is all hypothetical, everything that we're talking about, but yeah. out of hand, like if you were to do that, say you go get him, and say things go well and you have a magical season next year and they make the playoffs. Does that put you in a position where he's going to want you, he's going to want something that's like a tie, like a, a long-term deal perhaps, but like, could you also go to him and say, I will pay you 12.5 million for a one-year deal. I would do that. Yeah. I'd have to look at, cause there'd be multiple extensions that kick in by then. I don't know if they'd be able to do 12.5, but I think the the bigger thing is at that point, uh, hockey players really, really value security. Of course. Even when it's not reasonable, like and right now when they're doing it before. I know the cap's not going that. up big this year, but like like guys like Barzell that are doing that, theoretically in the next three, four years, the cap should be significantly higher than it's been. But guys, I, I don't know, maybe Hellbuck will be different, but guys traditionally have just valued uh, getting in their eight-year deal whenever they can get it. That's why like almost every star does take that deal. Like It's rare to do what Austin Matthews did. It's much more uh, common to do what like Eichel or McDavid did, and no, I, I mean that's I get fine. That. But it's well, I, and I just that, don't see it as a possibility. I, I, not a possibility. I see, I don't see that as a probability. And it's so I think that's a huge risk if you do trade for him that he would do that. I just go back to even if it is for a year, 
I'm going to do that. Like if it, short of Savoy or Kulik having to be involved, knowing what we know, I would do it for a year. I would, because there is, again, there's no guarantee next year. There's not. And there's even risk involved. I think my preferred move, all things considered, again, like reiterating, like I know I'm going to like to the mat for this right now. And like, I'm, I'm sounding like I'm really all about it. Like my rational self, my most rational self and what I think will end up happening mixed with what I want to happen is again, like I said, probably like a guy like Anderson. Anderson, I think is my practical idea that I really like a lot for them to do for, to kind of do this like one a thing, because again, there's no scenario where I think it's okay to have Levi be the one a next year. None. But all that being said, there, there's just, there's just no guarantee and you got to get over the hump. You got to do it. 12 years we're talking about right now. Yeah. Like it's, it, 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 it just, it needs to be, this team needs to get over the hump and they need to do whatever is necessary. Full stop. And Connor Hellybuck puts you there. We're 12 years, Taylor. I know. It's embarrassing. This is the longest playoff drought in the history of the sport. And I also think that if they did make the deal, I would say that would look more like oh. Kevin Adams being desperate because I think what the Sabres because I'm sorry, but if you're going to tell me that this news is going to come out and the Sabres trade for Connor Hallibuck and that people's reaction to a team that was a game away from making the playoffs that has the most, like the best mix of youth and talent in the NHL right now, that they go out and trade for Connor Hallibuck. Taylor, anybody who says that Kevin Adams did this as a, a move of desperation has absolute fucking brain worms. Like, well, here's the way to look at it because it is a one year deal. And if he. Well, he has a, he has an extension already granted in his contract, but as a one year deal, you make the playoffs. That's a time buying type move. Whereas, yeah, like I, like we both said, Anderson Anderson is a bigger risk next year than Hellebuck as a one year thing because mm-hmm. I almost guarantee. I mean, not almost. I guarantee Hellebuck's going to be better. Like, there's no doubt he plays for a significantly worse team, and he was significantly better than Anderson. Uh, but if you're just doing that as a one year, you got to make the playoffs desperation move. Like, I just kind of see any upgrade they make is making them pretty likely to make the playoffs. Yeah, but any, any upgrade on but there is a you know, these fine line between what is your what would your level of confidence be between going into next season with Frederick Anderson being the starter and Connor Hallibuck being the starter, not just for making the playoffs, but actually being able to like do some damage and win a round or two. Yeah, I think it's uh, significant. Taylor. All other all other things being equal, yeah, it, I mean it is, but it's also like. <laughs> We we talked about this before. We're not just this isn't like the 2017 Bills. Like this isn't just this core we have right now isn't just like a make the playoffs. We really need to break the drought core. Like even our good friend Mark Messier said it. There is championship possibility here. And right. that's something again, you should like focus on. Levi, I feel like being here should make people want to do this even more, though. You don't think that it would be good for him to be able to learn from one of the best goalies in the league for a year at least? And then no, being be able good. to have the experience also of getting a taste of what like a playoff atmosphere is like. I mean, and again, <laughs> that's why the Sabres, like you have the ability, like whoever they end up acquiring in goal is going to just serve as a buffer for a, a, a few years until it's Levi's time to take the reins. And again, as much of a move as it is for the team that it's going to help them be better. Like this is all, that's a huge thing for Levi. It's massive. For him to be able to to be to just learn from a guy like Hallibuck, who is one of the best at his craft in the entire world and has been on such a consistent level, the fact that their like draft profiles are so similar and their their uh, collegiate careers are so similar, I, I mean, this would be just as good as it is for the playoff chances. This is amazing for being able to get Levi ready because again, then maybe it only is then a year that Levi needs to be behind somebody before he's able to take the reins. But I think Connor or uh, Carter Hart would have been well-served being able to have a year behind a star goalie before being thrown into the wolves. But do you think it's a good idea for Levi to play like 22 games next year? I know neither of us want him to play like 50. He's not going to, Hallibuck's not going to play 60 games, man. He like, played 64 this year. Yeah. Who was the backup for Winnipeg? Uh, uh, David Riddich? Like, I don't Come know. On. Maybe. Yeah, yeah but like, was. but like, but why, why trade for Hellebuck then? If you're not, if you're like, what are you going to use him? Like, like how many games then? I think if you play Levi, I think you could realistically play him 30 plus games next year. 
So you're going to trade all that shit for Hellebuck to play in 50 games? That's even more 50, crazy. Play 55 games of Connor Hellebuck. Okay, f- yes. 55 for, for like okay, plus 55 play- and 27. Plus playoffs. Plus playoffs. Yes. I don't I know. will. Because you don't know if you're going to make it next year. It is not a guarantee. Like, I don't think the, I. I don't oh think it's a guarantee God. they make it next year. But like I don't. I wouldn't say I'm not sweating the playoff drought anymore. Obviously, it's it's there. Hangs around us like an albatross. But I I sweated a lot less than the Bills one because I'm sure it's going to end with this core. That would be a huge fucking annoying waste if they didn't make it next year. So I can't. It's but a I, huge I, waste. If they don't yeah, make it all next these year, guys. everybody has the hindsight of looking back and being like, holy fuck, we should have done that. But the way I look at it is the the biggest thing, like you do need another defenseman and theoretically we'll see what happens if they need, I don't know if they need another forward at any point soon, but you want to see how cool it can Savoy, how they end up, ends up being super important to whatever championship window they have. But goaltending is a big thing. We both know that. And even if we both are confident in Levi, I think we are in the same position of how confident I'm not that confident in the next two or three years that he can be a guy that plays 50 something games because it doesn't really happen before you turn 24 in the NHL. It doesn't happen anymore. It's not a big thing anymore. So I mean, Ottinger, I don't know how old he is, but he he stepped in well. That's kind of a, maybe an exception. But like these other guys, I'm pretty sure Ottinger was already 24 when he stepped in. Uh, a lot of these other guys, it it just – even Shesterk and Saros, we've gone over this a million times. So what I really want is solid goaltending buffering for like three years. Hellebuck deal doesn't really answer that. Maybe it's one year and then Levi takes over, but that's also unrealistic. So you're giving up a bunch of assets for one year of grand but again, if there is- I think is as good as anyone in the world. But – if it's if and I'll say this now, if Winnipeg really does accept some kind of like 50 cents on the dollar type deal, fine, that's great. I'd be super excited about that. I just don't think that's going to happen. Let me ask you this. What if it was the scenario, like I said, where you get through the one season with him and you decide you do want to run it back and you give him a crazy not I mean, not like ridiculous, but you give him like a very substantial one year deal. And you and if you were to say right now that you knew that you would have at least two, you'd have two years of Hellebuck here, does that change your opinion at all? Two years, yeah. But I don't I don't know if you can guarantee you can't guarantee that up front, so not really. I mean, of course not. But I, nothing that we're saying right now is a guarantee. But like, I mean, we if just, you, we're but talking like in the hypotheticals about everything, yeah. But like if if like I said before, if he's under two or three year deal, it'd be great. But I, I he's not, and he's going to want eight years right away. He's at the age where he kind of needs to make the deal right away. He's, he knows what happened to Bobrovsky, and someone out there has given him that eight years. If it's not $70 million, it's eight. Well, they'll give him seven years, obviously. He's a free agent. But if they trade for him, if L.A. or New Jersey trades for him, he's getting a huge deal with them. I would I, I would actually prefer L.A. I'd prefer he wasn't in the East. I don't disagree. I, I mean, again, I we said it like two weeks ago. Like, my preferred landing spot for him is L.A. Like, I would love to see him there, and I think he'd be great for them, a great fit. Yeah, obviously, I'm not going to sign up for re-signing a goalie like that to that kind of term and that kind of money, especially when in, you know, you call it two years, then depending on how where Levi's at, you're going to have to end up paying Levi at some point or another. But I think it is just imperative that the Sabres break the drought, get over the hump, and get through next year. Hallibuck is one of the three best goalies in the world has been is still in the middle of his prime right now. And I think that even just a year of that, even if we were guaranteed one year for the current state of like the East right now, the state of the division, the whatever the wild card race will end up being next year. I, I think Halle Buck moves Saber the Sabres up the rankings significantly. And potentially, yeah. That's that's and the again, of the, a good and, and that's we're also saying absent like the fact that we're not talking about we're okay. One year of Halle Buck, 6.15, whatever million. Okay. You still have the potential then where you're going to have, you can make your, your big move at, at defense. You can get your guy, whether it's free agency or trade, you still have flexibility to make an upgrade at forward. Like if you mean to tell me that, I don't know. Maybe I am getting way ahead of myself, but just looking at how the team scored this past year, look at, you know, the, the potential expected growth of some of the players and some guys that just will remain stagnant, whatever. If you inject Damon Severson into the top four, maybe your bottom pair along with Labushkin is either like Carson Soucy or my favorite, uh, Sean Dursey from LA. 
you get either maybe Kulik breaks through or Savoy make the roster, or you go out and you make a move for a legitimate middle six piece. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that the Sabres are going to win the Stanley cup or anything like that. By no means am I saying that, but how many teams in the league in the East could the Sabres not match up with, with that kind of a roster? Not many. Yeah, I agree. I do agree with that, but I think like that's a, a real potential thing. Like that that banks on Hellebuck uh being like let's say like I don't know, 9:30 in the playoffs, 9:25 in the playoffs. If he's like 9:15 in the playoffs, that's really good. That's way better than anything they've dealt with for a while, but that doesn't really make them probably cup contenders, I wouldn't say. That's actually the other thing is <laughs> the Sabres uh I guess Hellebuck does translate well here in that he is also had recent experience playing uh, under a bad defensive system, which is, that's something that helps. But I just, when it comes down to it, I don't think you're getting him for a reasonable deal. And I think someone else is going to pay more than the Sabres are willing to pay. And that'll be reasonable giving the, the incentives here. That's fine. I guess my whole thing, like I get that. And I understand the the point with New Jersey and LA and everything like that. But I, like I said, we're getting to the point with this team right now that it's the same thing that we said about Meyer at some point guys are going to become available that it, listen, it's just worth it to overpay. It's worth it to pay more than the other team would. If it means that you're going to end up getting the guy, especially when again, with all of this stuff, when we're talking about acquisitions and what the cost is going to be, what assets we're giving up, there is no way that all of these guys that they currently have on the roster who are fixtures on this team, who are going to be here for the next, let's say four years, all the guys that they have coming up, all of the upcoming draft picks, there's, there's not enough room for everybody. And if you want to maximize those assets, you got to move them. You just got to do it. You got to move them while you have the value to them. Like we're talking about, like I said, like Osland or Rosine, for example, like could those guys end up being good NHL players? Yes, absolutely. But one, we don't know that Two, look at the makeup of this team right now. And it's, there's a lot to take into consideration for where they could fit into the mix I mean, again, I'm at the point right now that you have enough of the proven commodities on the roster right now that you can start to move some of the valuable unproven ones to bring in more of the proven ones. That's great for Meyer, who's going to be here for theoretically nine years, eight and a half years if they traded for him, which I wanted. It's a little bit tougher to sell on a non... It's not a year you're really I know expecting to win the cup and it's one year. That's tough. I'm it's talking tough about that assets. from like a high level perspective. I'm not saying that with, I'm just saying in general, because that's more so about people like just being afraid to like make trades essentially. To oh no, big, I, big I agree. Swings. I, and I think this is the year where they're going to buy at the deadline more so than any year recently. And I think that's, it's well, hopefully more than just Jordan Greenway and Riley Stillman. If you want to make those good deals at the deadline, you want to have those kinds of assets around. Like I think a lot of these guys like Rosen, Osland, whoever they take in the first round this year, whatever first round picks they have going forward. A lot of those, those are going to be good potential chips uh, to trade for even like someone like Lucas Rusak. They have room for him. Not clear. Not really clear if they do or not. I think he's their 13th forward next year. Yeah. So I think, uh, moves like that, like th- that'll be great for that. And Taylor, I just have one last point that I want to make too, with regard to not so much Holly Buck, but more so I, my, my issue is not so much people who say that they don't want to go after Holly Buck. My issue is with the people who want to just hand the keys to Levi over. And I think if you need the perfect cautionary tale as to why that may not be the best idea, historically, I know we always look at Carter Hart, but I mean, Look at the Florida Panthers, for example. Now, I know this year, Spencer Knight, it's extraordinary circumstances why he had to leave the team. But in the action that he got, he really was never able to wrestle the job away from Bobrovsky. I mean, Spencer and I were talking about a top 15 pick, like a first rounder, one of the most highly touted goalie prospects of, we could say probably like the past five to 10 drafts, I would say, just given his goaltend where he ended up getting drafted. And obviously the pedigree too, with how good he was at with the U S program and everything, he was given an opportunity to take that job away from Bobrovsky right away and was really not able to, he was put in the league. In my opinion, he probably definitely could have used a a full season in the AHL, but they ended up giving him the shot because he seemed like he was, he was ready to do so. They wanted to get him in there. Obviously, you know, you have all of that money invested in Bobrovsky 
but you still, I mean, you invest a first round pick in a goalie like that. Like you're going to want to see what you have there. And you're going to believe in that guy too. However, again, that's like the perfect cautionary tale where he hasn't even been able to wrestle the job away from Bobrovsky for that matter. So again, like for me, I am just in no way, shape or form comfortable with Levi being the one a going into next year. And while I'm excited about the prospect of, of Hellybuck as this like pie in the sky thing. I obviously think Anderson's a lot more realistic, like we've been saying, or one of the guys of that caliber. I just still do not think there is any scenario where Levi could be your one a next year. So that's at least what I want to say to put a bow on that conversation. All right, folks. Well, we're going to get to some other stuff too across the NHL, but first let's hear a word from our sponsors. DraftKings Sportsbook first. Uh, Light the lamp during the hockey playoffs with DraftKings Sportsbook. New customers can make a $5 bet and score $150 in bonus bets instantly. So, for example, uh, you folks are hearing this uh, on Thursday. Thursday is the first night of the conference finals. Florida versus Carolina. Carolina, big favorites right now, it seems. Uh, one and a half on the puck line, so they're plus 180 in the puck line. Minus 140 on the money line. And people, it seems to be some action on the under. The under is plus 105 right now, and the under is five and a half. So then you obviously have some stuff. I don't know if the odds will change before Friday, but, you know, we got Vegas as minus 125 favorites. They're hosting Dallas. So you will take a look at that if you're interested in betting on hockey. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use code THPN to sign up. That's for the Hockey Podcast Network. New customers can make a $5 hockey playoff bet and score a $150 bonus bet instantly. That's code THPN, only a DraftKings Sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Massachusetts, call 800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369. In Kansas, call 1-800-522-4700 on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort. It's 21 and over in most eligible states, but the age will vary by jurisdiction. Eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for offer details. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Our next sponsor is Raycon, and let's face it, folks, with coffee starting at $5, even without any customizations, and our bank accounts somehow always depleting, we're officially entering a dupe session. Most products do the same thing, but are priced differently, solely based on the brand name. So a good duplicate, or a dupe, is crucial for getting the highest quality at the best price. One dupe you definitely shouldn't sleep on, Raycon Wireless Earbuds. Raycon is premium audio at the perfect price point, so you can listen to what you want, when you want, without breaking the bank. So, that's important, folks. We don't want to break the bank. Traveling. I'm traveling soon. Brandon travels a lot for work. We all want to travel, go cool places like Erie, Pennsylvania, and Albany, New York, and Galveston, or other places if you're interested. And if you want to have money for travel, you want to save money somewhere else, and you can save money by not spending too much on your wireless earbuds. Raycon's mission is to prove that you shouldn't have to pay an arm and a leg for quality sound and essential smart tech listening features. You can get a pair and a spare and still pay less than you would with some of those other more big-name tech brands out there. Raycon knows that in this economy, every purchase needs to be perfect. They offer buy now, pay later options. Right now, you can pay as low as $18 at checkout. They have an easy and free return guarantee. They offer two years of product protection insurance for just a few bucks. They offer free domestic shipping and flat fee international shipping. They have over 50,000 five-star reviews. Because of their tremendous features, such as Three customizable sound profiles, earbud tap function, noise isolation, awareness mode, custom gel tips for the most perfect, comfortable in-ear fit, crystal clear call quality. They're water and sweat resistant, and the everyday earbuds come with eight hours of playtime. So go to buyraycon.com slash THPN today to get 15% off your Raycon order. That's buyraycon.com slash THPN to score 15% off. Buyraycon.com slash THPN. And folks, of course, you know what's next. It's Thin Man Brewery. And they got a big weekend coming up, folks. Extended weekend, not just the weekend. So let's start with this, though. Uh, They announced for Porchfest, which Brendan is playing at, which I'll let him talk about in a minute, uh, this Saturday, Thin Man. 
is going to have a DJ set up there. I'm, I'm looking for the exact time right now, but it's going to be on their porch, their second story, which has been renovated. Uh, Brendan and I have been up there, their second story porch. It's great. Overlooks mm-hmm. Elmwood. It's really cool to hang out there. So come out there. I'm looking for the time here. I could be mistaken. They may not have posted it yet. Uh, they may not have posted it yet. But yeah, I know they are definitely having that uh, coming up. So that's one thing. Another thing, Sunday. You went to Porch Fest all day, right? You're hungover. What do you do? You go to the Down East Cider Brunch at Thin Man Brewery, uh, which starts at 11 a.m. on Sunday. Cider-based food specials, varietal tappings. And I know my friend Melissa, who works for Down East, she'll be there. And she's very nice, so you should go there. I can't go, unfortunately, due to another obligation. But if you're interested in cider-infused cocktails, cider-infused brunch specials, and some nice people at Down East to uh, hang out and party – Start your Sunday fun day right at Thin Man Elmwood. And again, like I mentioned earlier, the Porch Fest, that's obviously at the Elmwood location. And also, Monday. Don't let the fun end on Sunday, folks. Monday, fourth edition of Buffalo Sports Trivia, 8 p.m. at the Elmwood location. Second floor. Uh, I got to say, I 100% recommend you make your reservations uh, not today necessarily, but as soon as possible. Make your reservation. Don't just show up because last time we literally only had one free table and it went to some nice young ladies who actually ended up playing trivia for a few rounds. So uh, it, things really do fill up upstairs. It's not unlimited space. So call Elmwood, uh, Thin One, Thin, sorry, Thin Man Elmwood at some point, maybe over the weekend or honestly, more realistically, just call on Monday to uh, to make your reservation or shit, call Thursday or Friday. That might actually be easier. Get ahead of it. There you so go. make sure you specify it's for Monday Buffalo Sports Trivia because they have another trivia on Tuesday. Brendan, nice. thoughts? My thoughts are that everybody should come out for Buffalo Sports Trivia. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be a really great time getting underway at 8. Make those reservations, and uh, we're already we're going to be working on the questions this weekend, so very, very excited to run it back. Also, yeah, Porch Fest is this weekend, and if you're feeling it, my band Slow Animals is playing on Auburn and Elmwood at 656 Auburn from 3 to 4. It's going to be a really great time. Really hoping the weather holds out because it's looking like it might be a little bit rainy right now. But 3 to 4, Elmwood Porch Fest, it's going to be a great time. Slow Animals is the name of my band. We played at the same house last year, and it was an absolute zoo. You were there last year, right, Taylor? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. Yeah, it was a, a great time, and I'm assuming Is it you the will... same place? Same place. Nice. And you're going to be there again, right? I believe. I will. Yeah. What time do you play again? You just say three I was looking for nothing. I think. Three men. Yes, I will be there. Cool. Awesome. Well, we actually, before we get into some of the other league wide news, we actually should also mention that there is a little bit more of Sabres news of the not so good variety that came out today. Elliot Friedman reported that both Jason Carmanos and Sam Ventura have been interviewed for the general manager position for the Pittsburgh Penguins with Carmanos getting a second interview. Taylor, Obviously, these are two guys that you really don't want to lose from the organization, namely Sam Ventura, just given what a a force he is in the analytics community. So your thoughts on this? And then also, I think it's absolutely worth talking about and something that we've talked about previously, the prospect of Kevin Adams getting promoted to president of hockey operations and maybe elevating a guy like Sam Ventura to the general manager position. Your thoughts? I think, I mean, that's definitely a possibility that I don't mind at all because they don't have a president of hockey ops. They don't have a president at all, honestly, right now. So there's no real reason that you'd even have to change anything. It could be really just a title change. And the fact that Adams was so keen on bringing in so many experienced people in the front office tells me that he already is listening to their voices and he's already giving them a lot of say. So there's no real reason that you couldn't have, you know, one of those guys be the GM, you know, you you promote Ventura and Carmanos and Adams to keep them together. I'd, I'd be in favor of doing that. Obviously, if they stay good for a while, you're going to end up losing guys like that. They're just, they're going to get their own GM jobs. At least that's just kind of the way front offices work. Uh, hopefully they hire more of your Jason Bottrell's than your San Ventura's, but you never know. Also is Bottrell, did he get a second interview in this one? Cause I saw you got a first one. Uh, let me double check on that in the meantime uh, there. One moment, but carry on. Yeah, that's pretty much it. I I'm glad that it seems like Ventura is not getting a second interview, but so I saw actually I looked at that tweet quickly. I saw Chica. Is that Megan Chica or is it the other one? Mm-hmm. 
I'm looking at the tweet from oh wait, or there's no way that it would be another <laughs> one, right? Like uh, I don't know, it'd be pretty funny. I wonder. I mean, how good for her if so. She's one of the brightest minds in the sport right now in terms of like the analytics community as well. So that that'd be great. Yeah, definitely interesting. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate, but it's it is a good sign, I guess. A, a bittersweet thing that uh people actually want to talk to Sabres front office guys. Yeah, definitely. And also no uh Botterill was not mentioned in uh NHL Watchers follow-up tweet regarding those entering phase two of the interviews. Interesting. Anyways, though, let's talk about some playoff hockey, Taylor. So first, the stage is set. The Eastern and Western Conference Finals are getting underway. In the East, we have Carolina facing off against Florida. In the West, we have the Dallas Stars facing off against the Vegas Golden Knights. Taylor, which of these two series are you more looking forward to watching? And as a follow-up to that, who do you think comes out of both series? Um. Well, that's, that's interesting. I think... I'm not interested. <laughs> I'm not interested in this shit at all. Well said. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I'm more interested in the West. It's going to be more fun. Like Eichel is a better villain than whatever Carolina's got going on. And you know, I I think Dallas has been a decent watch. Like it's it's genuinely interesting to see like a few things with them. Is Ottinger like is the moment like kind of too big for him, or is he going to play more like he did on? I think that was Monday night that they won Game Seven. Uh, is is well, for example, is Jason Robertson? Is the moment too big for him? That's a fun one. Jason Robertson has not been great these playoffs. Is the moment too small for Rue Pence? Is Rue Pence <laughs> is he too Rupin, good for these playoffs? He needs he needs to be in the Stanley Cup. Let me tell you something, Taylor, because if Dallas makes the cup and Hints is the one who ends up winning that con Smythe, we're gonna be rethinking my little uh Rupe Hints Hall of Fame take there i just want to just want to put that out there to the world folks if that man wins the con smite his stock up 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 yeah i i mean i guess i think the, the <laughs> dude, dude, so most people based on our numbers were not listening in february of 2021 or whenever we did that hall of fame thing so what we're referring to friends is that like I said, like a little bit over two years ago, he you was either frame this the right way. I'm gonna, yeah. It was okay. You know what I think it was? It was more than that because I think it was between when the bubble playoffs ended and when the the 2021 weird divisional only season started, because we had like nothing to talk about because the Sabres hadn't played in the bubble. They had like Taylor Hall and stuff, but there was all this time. It's like oh, it's basically a second off season in a row, and. So we did like, uh, or you know what? Also, it very well, very well, might have been during that regular season, which sucked. But anyway, we did a thing where we did a like kind of a ranking. I did the East, Brendan did the West, where we talked about is this guy who's going to make the Hall of Fame? And we had guys that were like long shot, but not impossible. It, like that was a one, and that was all the way to like five. Five is someone like Joe Thornton. He's in. Retire tomorrow. You're in. Four is like you're very likely, and I would say four is like a Nikita Kucherov. And you have like guys that are like a, I don't remember what a two was to be honest, but a three was someone like, um, hmm, I don't actually remember what three was, but two was like young guys to keep an eye on, like Cal McCarr. But Brendan, I would say, had twice as many guys as me in the West. Like every third guy in the West is like, that's someone to keep an eye on. And one of them was Rue Pence. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me, Rue Pence? Maybe Rupin's is a Hall of Famer now. Eat your words, motherfucker. Eat them. Yeah, he's also like 50th in points this year. And but whatever, he's having. If he has a Con Smythe, hey, that's something. That really actually is something that's very valuable in getting you in the Hall of Fame, Mm -hmm. more so than being consistently like a Hall of Fame level player. But anyway, uh, I'm just saying. I'm I'm interested in Rupin's above all else in the East. Also, wait a second. Back it up. How many points did you say he had this year? I I said he was like 50th in points. I was going to say he PPG, the, sorry, PPG, not points. Okay. He was, he had 75 points in 73 games this year. Last year he had 72 points in 80 games. Yeah. So that's good. He's listen, this man gives a, you know, he, he, he keeps getting top line men. I mean, granted he, his shooting percentage was wild this year. 20.1%, 17.4, but who knows? Maybe that's just how he is. 
But his time on ice, though, 17.33. I'm telling you right now, man, he ends up uh, getting those minutes up, playing with Robertson a bit, getting some of that power play one time. Just you wait. Improbable. Where would you put him now in the one through five ranking? I mean, he's still probably a two, but. I believe he was a one when you made this, but. Oh, he was a one when I said it? Okay, yeah. Then maybe, then he's probably, I would say in between a one and a two. Let's be clear, everybody. This is absolutely, this this, this joke has gotten out of control. (laughs) All right. (laughs) I did um, not make the claim that this man is going to like definitely be making it. I said that. He is a good, young, promising player at the time. Seemed like he had a lot of high upside. Dallas is a team that you have a high-end guy in Robertson, but otherwise there really isn't a whole lot coming up through the pipeline in their forward ranks right now. At least at the time there was. Now they're in a little bit of better shape with like Wyatt Johnson and whatnot. But like, he was somebody I thought you could keep an eye on. He's only 26 right now. I mean, crazier things have happened, baby. Crazy things have happened. Uh, Look at Joe Pavelski. See? His teammate. That's another one. Joe Pavelski is like the oldest guy to ever have a playoffs this productive goal wise, and he missed like five games already. It's crazy. crazy. He hasn't. He's played like what, like nine total playoff games. It's wild. He's been That's, awesome. I, I didn't even realize too. From your point, Robertson didn't even have a goal in the Seattle series, which is crazy. It and I, you know what? Watching a lot of the games, I'm not surprised. He was not a, a very visible player. I wouldn't. Say. He had one three assist game and two games where he had an assist apiece. So I mean. Yeah. yeah. Well, look, we'll I see. Mean, maybe he turns it on. Yeah. Like, if I'm not mistaken, in 2013, Pat Kane had a pretty bad stretch, especially when they went to they went down three to one to Detroit and obviously a seven game series. I want to say Kane and Taser both pretty bad in that. And then they obviously win the conference finals, win the cup anyway. But so you never know. I Yeah. So I, I'm sure I speak for both of us when I say we would like a Dallas Florida final. Yeah. Uh. Florida, I'm still interested somewhat because, well, first of all, I like Sam Reinhardt. I don't care for the stalls, but Florida has been a good watch in the playoffs. Bobrovsky's actually been good, and it's just been a, it's been a crazy run. And if if Florida makes the playoff, like they make the playoffs over us, obviously that was a tough pill to swallow. But if I would have told you told you in like April, like hey. I know, like, the Alex Lyon thing's annoying. You lost that game that was so close. The weird offside review. Missed the playoff by one point. However, they're going to upset Boston, Toronto, and Carolina. And then maybe Vegas? I mean, I think a lot of people would have been like, okay, well, that's not as bad as Crazy. I think it is right now. Uh, so, yeah, I'm I'm interested in them. But, yeah, but on the, beyond that, I can't say I'm thrilled with the matchups, but what are you going to do? Let's, let's get a right. Dallas-Florida final. That could be interesting. All right, well, why don't we wrap up now, Taylor, with talking about the other news from around the NHL today, which is the situation with the Arizona Coyotes. So I know you were saying that you had done a a bit of background research on that. So do you want to kind of get into that and give a general overview of what's going on and go into some of the details? Yeah, so if you, like a lot of people, are noticing on Twitter today that a lot of people are talking about the Coyotes potentially moving, there's a good reason for that. Uh, There was a vote, a referendum held in Tempe where – they had their plan to build a new arena, uh, and it was basically about the funding of the arena, how that would happen. And there was three different propositions that were put up uh, that basically the voters got to decide, do you want to help fund this arena? If you want to know more of the details, you can look it up. I don't have all the details on that. But the voters voted them all down pretty resoundingly, and I think that puts the Coyotes in a tough spot. So just to explain here. The Coyotes are playing currently in Mold Arena, which is Arizona State's arena, which is like 5,000. That's super temporary, obviously. You can't just keep playing there. So the reason they're even playing there in the first place is because they got kicked out of Gila River Arena in Glendale. And they, they, just for a little background on this, the Coyotes move obviously from Winnipeg in the 90s. They move as part of kind of a general a thing that predates Batman, but this move towards more of Sunbelt type teams. And Canadian dollars week, so a lot of people think it's it's been kind of a stereotype that Batman just wanted all these teams out of Canada and into the southeast. It went in southwest in the case of Phoenix. Not exactly, didn't, but his him showing up makes it seem that way. But anyway, they they relocate Canadian dollars week when a peg's having a tough time uh in general as a as a market. And they played in the same arena as the Suns for a while. 
throughout like the early 90s or the mid 90s to early 2000s and they actually were moderately successful as a franchise and that they made the first round and lost <laughs> a lot which is actually a huge step up on what they've done in the 20 years since they really in the early 2000s start to struggle and then they struggle financially and then the league in general struggling financially the lockout happens i promise sure that doesn't help and then eventually they i think sometime in the early 2000s is when they go to gila river arena in glendale uh which was another whole to do i would say because after the lockout they they more or less go bankrupt and their owner uh wanted to sell the team out from under the nhl uh with two big issues with that though one he was going to try to sell them to jim balcelli who was going to move them to hamilton two the nhl was already paying his bills so he declared bankruptcy as a way to circumvent the nhl's rules and that's what's led to what's been now a 15-year kind of song and dance with the coyotes are they going to stay are they going to leave because from there, that was a huge court battle. That's when the NHL had to take over the Coyotes. Uh, and when they're busy with that, obviously, Atlanta, they just up and move in like a second because of how messy their situation was. The NHL was very busy, like trying they, their anti-relocation. I think that's a story for another day. The Atlanta one was that's kind of a situation they couldn't deal with. But yeah, the Coyotes at NHL, Coyotes are running or the NHL is running the Coyotes. Their owner at the time, or the guy who's kind of their owner, uh, trying to force a deal the nhl had to buy they had to go through like arbitration court that the court ruled that they couldn't sell the jim ball silly because uh he the, the previous owner was trying to basically use bankruptcy to circumvent the nhl rules they don't want to do that but then they made the nhl pay more money that was a whole to do the nhl pays what they think is fair and then they try to get a buyer and then that's a whole thing they the nhl originally at the same time when this guy's trying to sell him to the blackberry guy who's trying to move him to canada uh, Jerry Reinsdorf is trying to buy the Coyotes, and the, that's who the NHL wants to sell to. And then he backs out. Jerry Reinsdorf is the owner of the Bulls and White Sox, and also his third job is being a real cheap bastard. <laughs> but beyond that, they start to have trouble getting a team. They're, they're getting a buyer. Like I mentioned, the Atlanta thing. Well, True North Entertainment that ended up buying the Thrashers and moving them to Winnipeg. They were originally interested in the Coyotes. That fell through. There was a whole a whole, I think, I believe, uh, people interested in Seattle, but then the city of Glendale stepped up and bought, not didn't buy the Coyotes, but they agreed to cover the Coyotes' bills, the Coyotes' losses for like a season. So, I mean, that's a pretty ridiculous thing, but that's how they got into Glendale. And then they, it took years still to find an owner, like I think it was 2013, 14, before they really had an owner and the, the NHL could give them their team back, which is ridiculous, but they had a local owner and then that owner even, I think what that was an ownership group, a guy, I can't remember his exact name, but anyway, he, he's, well, I believe currently um, not involved at all in the NHL anymore because of a domestic violence issue, but he took over as a premier owner, he's the sole, not the sole owner, but like the lead majority owner. And then he eventually got bought out by the current owner, a guy named Jim Marillo. He sold to Jim Marillo, or I'm not exactly sure how you say the guy's name, who's the current owner. Uh, and this guy, he buys the team in 2019, and he uh, runs it even worse than any of his other owners. And I, I didn't go through the whole thing, but I believe they've had seven owners, seven primary owners since they moved there in 1997 or 96, whatever it was. So this guy, we've gone over this before where the Coyotes are a, a joke organization, not paying vendors for like things as simple as like napkins and cups not paying his taxes. And that's the big thing. He wasn't paying what they owed to be in that arena. That was the city of Glendale's arena. So he claimed that, oh, we, it was just human error. And it was hundreds of thousands of dollars they owed. This is last year, two years ago. And the, the arena was like, the city of Glendale was like, you, you can't play here anymore. They kicked him out of the arena. They don't have another tenant to go in there. That's how, that's how serious they were about not dealing with this shit anymore. And they still didn't have a plan to build an arena. So that's when they really had to get their ass in gear with the plan. And they started working with Tempe rather than them. And meanwhile, there's still, as you're probably asking, an arena out there that the Phoenix Suns play in? Yes, that is an arena. We'll get to that in a second. In Glendale, they're done. Tempe wants to put this to a referendum which is what happened tuesday night they wanted to put it to a referendum so that the, the people of tempe actually were deciding this now meanwhile the counties have been 
rebuilding, quote unquote, more or less tanking the last couple of years, hasn't paid off with the top pick. They have a lot of picks. Maybe they have an interesting future, but they've been terrible. And in the meantime, they're trading away guys who aren't even old or really veterans like Jacob Chikrin, and they're taking on all the old contracts. Such a ridiculous percentage of their money they're spending, of their cap, is guys who are semi-retired because they're on injured reserve. I don't think that should be really allowed, but I don't, I don't really know what the NHL, NHL could do about it. But yeah, so the, the fans are disinterested. People aren't showing up. They're playing in a 5,000-seat arena. That's for a hockey, for a college hockey team, not even one of the big college hockey teams. And the the, the people of Tempe rejected it, even though I got to say this is not one of those crazy deals where taxpayers are getting screwed ridiculously. Still, I mean, this billionaire should be building his own stadium, but it's not one of the worst ones I've ever seen. And and then that's basically the end of it. Now it's like they don't have anywhere to play in Tempe because they can't build this arena. They don't have anywhere to play in Glendale because they're not welcome there. There is a very old arena, I believe called like Phoenix Veterans Memorial Stadium, where the Suns used to play. Uh, that I don't think it's been primarily occupied by a major professional sports team in decades. And it's built in the 60s. So you could look at that as a temporary solution, but they already have a temporary solution. They're fine with temporarily being in this college arena. What they want is a permanent solution. And Glendale, forget it. They're not building an arena. Tempe is Tempe's not building an arena. So their last resort, I think, if there is a resort here, it would be going to the Suns and having them retro help retrofit the arena so that the team can play there. So a couple of factors there. The arena right now cannot be played in hockey-wise. It's just not workable. There's too many obstructive views. It's not it's not realistic that that's a full-time option. They have to become the second tenant and probably pay for renovations, and that's only if Matt Ashiba, the Suns owner, is interested. Uh, and then the other thing is, a couple other interesting things today, Greg Wyshynski of ESPN reported that they are not probably going to move this summer, and also that the owner is not interested in owning them anywhere but Arizona. Uh, and then a the third thing, they are in talks with the owner of the Utah Jazz is potential move to Salt Lake City. So that's basically all of it. I know I kind of rambled incoherently there for no, a while, that was but great. there's a lot more. If you look on the, their Wikipedia, uh, as the great Hunter S. Thompson once said, it reads like a textbook on human treachery. Jesus. Awful. They've had terrible owners. That's insane. Well, okay. So Salt Lake City aside, I know obviously that's been the big one and the Utah Jazz owner going as far as the tweet about it today. Also, people have thrown Houston out there as a logical next step as that's the largest market that does not currently have an NHL team. However, it has also been pointed out, though, that instead of relocation, it feels like expansion makes more sense for Houston just in terms of like maximizing the dollar value that you would be able to to make off of that kind of a move. But what I'm curious about, Taylor, let's just to kind of close things off, let's throw out a couple of ideas for where potential relocation spots could be for Arizona. I know obviously Salt Lake City, but where else are you thinking? So Salt Lake City, actually, the more I think about it, it seems like a realistic one because it's out west. They have a willing owner there who I guess has been pretty engaged with the the basketball team, the Jazz. And it's – I think they, it's a pretty big place with only one pro sports team, and I think the NHL – especially lately has been pretty deliberate about that kind of thing. They don't want to get overshadowed uh, aside from Atlanta and, and this Phoenix move too. I'm counting the whole Batman slash early pre Batman era. Uh, Phoenix and Atlanta are just such huge places. So that's kind of like Houston and they both kind of didn't work. I see why they made both those swings, but they didn't work What what has worked is Seattle. Seattle's a big place that only had two teams. One of whom was terrible for a long time. So boom, third team. That is easy. Vegas, such a huge place, had no teams. That was a, that's an easy no-brainer. Columbus, uh, Minnesota's kind of a that they shouldn't have moved in the first place. Like the NHL yeah. didn't want that, so that's kind of doesn't really count as an expansion. But Columbus, decently big place, no pro sports teams. Besides, uh, MLS came later, I think. But any, uh, maybe it came earlier. I don't know. MLS wasn't major in two thousand. So you have all these places that have been the recent expansion teams are places where the, the sports population is underserved. And that makes me think Utah more so than Houston. Houston would feel more like Atlanta or Phoenix. Well, in that similar vein, what do you think about even like in Oklahoma city or Kansas city for that matter? So I, I wonder about Oklahoma city. I, I've been to their arena. I can't 
thinking about it, I don't know if there's any real reason it couldn't be a hockey arena. I'd have to, I don't know. I, I guess someone else would be probably better to answer that. That's not bad. Uh, it's not a huge population area, but I'm not sure. I'm actually not sure how big Salt Lake City is, to, to be honest. But yeah. Oklahoma City is like. They only have city. one team, though. Yeah, that's true. Same. Yeah. Kansas City. They did have a team quite a while ago. Mm-hmm. Didn't work, but I don't. I mean, that was a different time. Right. Uh, that's that's I mean, that's an option. Absolutely. Uh, I don't want more things to be happening in Missouri, but <laughs> fair. Uh, I still think you need an. Well, you know what? I, I wonder about arena there, though. I think you've maybe potentially such an easy solution there in Utah. Yeah, no, that's definitely fair. Well, Taylor, we'll continue to monitor this as it as it keeps going along. I'm sure there's going to be plenty of news about it as the summer comes along and heading into next season. But do you well, have any last more, thoughts though. that you oh, – Oh, yeah. yeah, one more I was going to say. People have brought up Quebec City a lot, which I like as Me a relocation too. option. But I wonder – the one hang-up there is the conference thing, realigning again. Like they realign like every two years yeah, now. get over it. Yeah, that's what I think. But I wonder if there's an issue with sending one of the teams because I think the teams that Send are Detroit like – Detroit back to the Central. Well, I don't think they want that. That's the thing. I would do that. If I was in charge of the NHL, I'd be sending Detroit to the Central in a heartbeat and sending the Coyotes, well, whatever they'd be called in Quebec, maybe the Nordiques again, uh, to the Atlantic. But I think Detroit wanted out of the West, and teams like Detroit and Colorado that were right on the – not Colorado, Detroit and Columbus that are right on the like the border there of like you know the, the Eastern Conference, they have to travel a lot more, and I don't think they like that. Still, mm-hmm. I don't think that should be the really the hang up, you know. And I, I'm, I'm kind of, I don't really buy that even as I'm saying it. But I think you'd have to. I think Batman will look at that as that's a battle. Now I have to win with right, right, Illich or uh, whoever owns Columbus. And then, so I, but I would prefer Quebec as a because you brought up earlier why Houston would make sense as an expansion. So would Utah. Yeah. Yeah. All right. But, well, yeah. Taylor, thank you for that great overview. That was awesome. Everybody, thank you all so much for tuning into this episode of Straight Up Sabres. First and foremost, make sure you are coming out to Trivia Night on Monday, the 22nd, 8 p.m. Call ahead and make those reservations. But Straight Up Sabres is presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo. You can find both the presenters of this podcast on their respective websites and wherever you stream this episode. You can also find all of our fellow shows, so make sure you're checking all of them out. Also, you can find the Hockey Podcast Network, the Charging Buffalo, and Straight Up Sabres on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So make sure you're leaving us a nice little follow and liking all of our posts or tweets or whatever. But again, make sure you are following us. You can find us Straight Up Sabres on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And again, wherever you are streaming us right now, make sure you are subscribed to us or following us. And we'd very much appreciate it if you left us a rating or a review. Last but not least, folks, we love our sponsors, don't we, Taylor? We just, we really That's love right. them, folks. And those, of course, are DraftKings, and you can use that promo code THPN at checkout to take advantage of great deals. And speaking of which, same goes for Raycon. Make sure you're getting all of your audio devices through Raycon. Last but not least, we love Thin Man Brewery, and we'll be back there Monday for trivia night. So hopefully we will see you there, everybody. Have a great rest of your week and a great weekend. This has been Straight Up Sabres. Hey,